Welcome to Well Fed, a podcast for hungry creatives. I'm your host, John Sarantino, a designer based out of New York. And on this podcast, I speak to some of my creative heroes to learn from their experiences and discover the ingredients to grow within the creative industry. On this episode, my guest is Chloe Sheffy, a graphic designer primarily working in editorial design, but in no way does that stop her from writing, creating illustrations, and art directing, especially when it comes to the work she has done for Nike, The New York Times, Away, and Lucky Me Records. I've admired Chloe's passion for design and typography through social media for a while now, and I was super excited to finally nail down some time to have her as a guest. Before we get into the episode, I just want to share a few things with you. First, if you want to stay up to date with the podcast, you can head over to wellfedpodcast.com where I have all the episodes as well as videos and articles with tips for creatives just like you. Second, for this season, I just launched a Slack group that you can join by going to wellfedpodcast.com slash community. There you can share work and connect with other designers, illustrators, and photographers from all over the world. Last but not least, I'm doing free one-on-one portfolio reviews over Zoom for anyone that signs up for the newsletter on the website, wellfedpodcast.com. I've already had a few of these with listeners, and we've talked about things like getting more clients, ways to present your work on your website, and a bunch of other topics. All you have to do is sign up for the newsletter over at wellfedpodcast.com. Now that we got that out of the way, I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, so Chloe Sheffy, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Well Fed. Um, I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you as a guest. I feel like we both have a, an exceptional passion for uh, typography and some of your work has just been um, amazing to have discovered through the ways of social media, the wonderful web. And so I'm super excited to talk about that and to get to know you a little bit more um, and what you're doing today. So before we get into that, Chloe, um, I've been kicking off each episode with what I'm calling five questions in 50 seconds. Um, there's no timer here. Here necessarily, but uh, we like to keep things quick and 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 fast paced. So if you're ready, I can go ahead and ask you this first question. Yeah, sure. First, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining, um, Chloe. If you had to give up bread or cheese, what would it be? Bread. <laughs> um, this is a very New York question. I'm sure you had this before you moved. What is your sign? My sign is Cancer, but I'm very unlike a Cancer. I've been told which I'm sure has to do with my rising sign or something, but I don't know enough. Yeah, <laughs> all those birth charts and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, cat or dog? Dog. Do you have any Do you have any currently? No, I've never had pets, actually. My parents weren't pet people. <laughs> so actually it would be neither, if we're being very honest. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's okay. I'm all for the, the pet aspirations. Um, if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? This is hard. Um, I think it would actually be like a croissant and a cup of coffee if I can do kind of a duo, which probably is surprising given my bread answer for the first question. But um, <laughs> the backstory behind that is that um, I've actually been gluten free for the last year and a half, not by choice. But uh, I was cleared by a doctor to start eating gluten again. So actually last night I had the first glutinous normal pasta I've had in over a year. And so I'm literally just anticipating being able to eat croissants again. <laughs> Was it, did your body just have a, like a, a, a complete high as soon as that first scoop of pasta? <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily um, nothing out of the norm happened. So that's great. But yeah, it was really nice just to be like, I don't have to worry about this or like read the label. I mean, I'm still kind of in the re-entry period, so I'm not fully there, but... You have to take it slow. You can't just go all in on like exactly. a grilled cheese and, and pasta. You have to take take baby steps back into the garden of gluten. Exactly. And the croissant <laughs> will be 
the end, it will be my arrival back into the friend's <laughs> world. That's awesome. Um, last question, Spotify or Apple Music? Spotify. I like never really had a, a, a music subscription before. And I was like so against it because I was like all about podcasts and stuff like that. And now I see why people love Spotify so much after like now signing up for it. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's nice. I've just been using it for so many years. And actually, I was introduced to it by um, one of my parents' exchange students. And she was from Norway or something. So very cool and ahead of, ahead of us at the time. So, yeah, I've been committed ever since. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Chloe, you know, we've been trying to connect, I think, obviously, through this whole pandemic, it's been pretty crazy. Um, as you've mentioned to me earlier, you had just made the move from New York over to Seattle now, which is going to be somewhat of your semi-permanent residence. Um, and you you had mentioned that you grew up there. So I was wondering, maybe you can kind of paint me a picture of what, you know, young Chloe was or who young Chloe was growing up. You know, what were you doing? Where did you grow up? Let's talk about that. Yeah, Sure. Um, yeah, so technically, I kind of grew up uh, all all up and down the the coast of Washington, um, and I didn't actually live in Seattle proper until I was in college. Um, but yeah, so very much a West Coast, Pacific Northwest girl. Um, yeah, and I was just—I think probably most of your guests say this—but I was your typical artsy kid, always drawing, obsessed with horses, drew them constantly. I have like very clear memories of being on my bedroom floor with my twin sister, who's also a graphic designer, ironically, um, and both of us just drawing horses on those reams of paper that had the dots on the side where they're connected with the perforations and just going forever through like a ream of that, just drawing horses. Um, And yeah, I actually went to an arts-based high school in the Seattle area um, and did, I mean, I focused on, you know, sort of classical visual art there, but it was where I was introduced to graphic design for the first time. So I think I took my first graphic design course when I was 16, 15 or 16. Um, So that was kind of my early origins in design. Um, (laughs) My sister and I were also your kind of typical artsy student in that we did, you know, very bad posters for the school plays and things like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Long before you really knew the principles of graphic design or what it was, but just kind of (laughs) started, (laughs) started our sort of foray into the world that way. Um, Yeah. It's actually funny because I remember really hating graphic design um, in the class because it was kind of all about reduction and about, you know, the sort of opposite, um, things that I had learned with the principles of drawing. So like taking away detail um, and making things, um, you know, sort of simple and graphic versus being realistic and kind of true to life. And yeah, but at some point, I don't know, at some point I tipped over and and began to like it. Um, (laughs) You're like, let's make this a career now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I had an early realization too, I've always <laughs> joked with people that like I'm a little bit mercenary and a lot of the appeal of graphic design has just been that it's like a viable career to do in terms of being an artist. And yeah, I've never, <laughs> I've never been able to kind of be the starving artist. I've always wanted to sort of make money and live and do my thing. And graphic design is kind of the, the perfect sort of field to I've had that. I've had that same thought where I grew up as a painter and at some point I was like, I had the panic moment of like, what am I going to do? I got to go on from high school and stuff like that. 
So and of course mentioned- now I'm swinging back around and I just feel like all I want to do is make drawings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Now you're like, you know, type and color and vectors. It's just way too much. I got to get different places. You mentioned, so you started early in design, you know, having a class at 16 um, and then you have a sister. Is your sister also in design as well? Yeah. Yeah. She's a graphic designer too. Um, yeah. She kind of works more on the web side of the world. So she has like a set of skills that I totally don't have. <laughs> but any questions that, you know, you have about websites or anything like that are forwarded to your sister and vice versa. <laughs> She's like, what's print? And you're like, oh, it's this thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I was going through your experience, I've also f- come to find out that you went to RISD, which yeah. apparently I have just been targeting RISD, you know, alumni here, you know, Carly was a guest. She was from RISD. Yeah, we were in class together. Oh, wow. So this is, this is, yeah, there's a lot of RISD. I mean, I had Kevin Lyons, who's like an OG RISD grad and, you know, just like all of these people. So, you know, what kind of drew you to RISD and what was your takeaways from going through the program? You know, how did you, what did you go into it as? And then what did you come out as, right? Because that's always the interesting to see. Yeah, well, I had kind of an alternate route through RISD. Um, I kind of, I learned about it in high school. It's funny because I don't have like a specific memory of being sort of obsessed with it as a high schooler and being like, this is the school I want to go to. But at some point I did kind of become obsessed with just being able to get in and go there. And um, I was definitely the kind of person that was really (laughs) oriented around like achieving and doing the best I could do and really responded to being competitive. Um, So I was like, well, that is like, a fantastic school. It's one of the best schools you can go to. So I want to go there. Um, and also coming back to the sort of um, pragmatic part of me, even in high school, I was like, well, if I'm going to pay for an art school, I'm going to go to the best one I can possibly go to, you know, tuition's crazy. So my money has to be well invested. Uh, I feel like I'm painting a terrible picture of myself, but no, everyone has that thought. You're like, I'm going to be burning this, this money. So might as well. Yeah. Um, so what I ended up doing actually was going to community college to study graphic design first. Um, so I went to Seattle Central, which is actually a great graphic design program in terms of, you know, its reputation in the Seattle area and just being accessible for people, you know, because you can get an art, you know, an art education for a, a community college tuition. So I started there and then I actually transferred into RISD, which meant that I did not do the foundation year, which is kind of the you know, epic, the, the sort of story making, they work you into the ground kind of year. Um, so you were the outcast. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you're a transfer student, um, you actually declare your major. So I came in knowing that I would do graphic design. I didn't have that sort of moment of being like, what major do I want to uh, want to do? And I actually think if I were to do RISD again, I would do a different major, to be honest. Um, not to, that's no comment on the program because it was fantastic. That's a comment on me and learning about myself in the years since I graduated, which was in 2015. But yeah, so I kind of entered the the design uh, track right away. And it, I mean, I think those were some of the best years of my life. I loved RISD. I loved Providence. It was just a fantastic place. Everybody's so passionate and hardworking. And you do these crazy hours and it's really brutal, but it's fun because you're all doing it at the same time. And the professors are really interesting. And the proximity to Boston and New York was really nice. And yeah, Providence is just like an idol. It's, you know, it's that quintessential kind of New England college campus 
feel, which for me, like I'm totally the type of personality that's a sucker for that and like want to <laughs> experience and really got it in Providence. But yeah, like, you know, RISD is next door to Brown. And so you kind of have this entire sort of world of like academia and the collegiate feel all around you. Um, so yeah, I loved it there. You, um, you had an internship with Pentagram too, right? Am I, yeah, am in I... my junior year, between my junior and senior year at, at RISD, I interned at, on Michael Beirut's team. No big deal. You know, like how, <laughs> how does, what was the path to going to that? Because I think nowadays for me, you know, the things I look back on going through a program, one, I get a lot of questions sometimes of like, do you need to go to school to be a graphic designer? Right. I come from the train of thought that now looking back, having done that, I don't know if, I don't think you do have to. I but agree, I think, Right. Like, let's go on that for a little bit. Like, I think it's very attainable to become a successful graphic designer or a graphic designer that is doing work, you know, just like getting gigs, jobs, whatever it may be, going from high school and just sort of finding the way of like, okay, what kind of work do I want to make? And then trying to work for those people or get internships, all that stuff. Yeah. I think we're kind of in a changing world where even when I graduated like six years ago now, almost Um, I think that was less true, but I think now it has truly become about the portfolio versus the degree. Like, I think the degree really got me through the door or at least got me some interviews at the time. So that was really valuable. But I think, yeah, now, like, I think graphic design is kind of in this place where it feels less. um, There's no more gated garden. Yeah. And more like this open place, almost more like fine art in a way. At its best, I mean, at its worst, it's not like that, but at its best, let's think about it that way. I think it is kind of this porous place where, yeah, if you're, if you just have an eye for it and a talent for it, then yeah, I think you can get work. And I mean, depending on the work you're doing, I think it is beneficial to get education for like the finer points of understanding what makes good design. But I think, you know, if you're working in it and you have people that you can talk to or like a community of people that have experiences where you can get feedback and start to hone what you do, then you'll get to that point. Um, so yeah, I think you would kind of piece together what would be a, the equivalent of an art school education just on your own and being totally agree. People. Totally agree with that. And the other thing I look back on now is that like the opportunities or that the sort of like competitiveness that pushed me to look for things like internships, right? Because like you're going through school, everyone's sort of in that panic, you know, you're, you're co-students and you're like, I need an internship. What do I do? So I, I was pushing myself a lot. I had an internship every semester and I'm curious, like, you know, obviously getting an internship at Pentagram on Michael Beirut's team is like a very high bar to achieve. So, you know, what was the thought process? If you can remember, like, you know, what were you aiming for at that time? Yeah. Um, well, interestingly, my strategy between my sophomore and junior year was to just go back home. So I got an internship in Seattle and I wanted to be like, you know, back with family and like process the year, kind of recover from it, if I'm honest, and do something that wasn't very demanding. And so I think, you know, by the time I hit between my junior and senior year, my sort of desire to to pursue graphic design really purposefully and intensely kicked in. Um, and so you know, actually the, the Pentagram internship is an interesting story because I actually didn't apply for it. Weirdly, their um, intern recruiter reached out to me and I don't know how he found me, um, but he asked me to apply for the position, which I did. Um, and it was a really bizarre, bizarre email to get because 
I actually never would have applied to Pentagram on my own. I would have thought it was out of reach. And I think that was a really good lesson to learn early on was just to not sort of eliminate the possibilities, uh, which isn't to say, you know, um, go for everything, even if you're deeply underqualified. But it, I think it means, you know, have, have a confidence in yourself that is appropriate for your skill. Um, totally. and like, <laughs> don't, you know, don't eliminate opportunities um, without trying. And I think that's a super, you know, it's a basic, basic lesson, but for me, it was a good one to learn while I was still in college. So yeah, that's how that came about. Um, if I had, if I had sound samples and the production level on this podcast was like way better, I'd have like the DJ Khaled air horn where it's like, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> because like for, to have like someone from Pentagram reach out as a student, I think says a lot about like the kind of work that you were doing or the, the work ethic that you had to kind of really put together a portfolio that, that said something, you know, and I think that's, that's really cool. So kudos to you on that one. Um, yeah, I think quickly, I think one other thing that may have helped just thinking back on those years was that I did get some early press while I was still in school. So I had like a feature on it's nice that one on um, like graphic. So I think things like that help too, which I mean, I wouldn't recommend, you know, prioritizing getting press over doing your schoolwork or doing your work. But I think that probably helped because I don't I just don't know how else they would have found me. I mean, unless they were kind of keeping an eye on RISD students push, push the type of work that you're doing so that people may actually recognize you and keep working hard at it so that when so that then the opportunities are more likely to come rather than trying to prioritize like you said press over quality of work right um after school you know what was i know you ended up at the new york times but was there anything before that what goes on in your head because i know that's always a stressful time for students as well yeah that was a really intense time because, yeah, similar to your school experience, we definitely had people kind of <laughs> talking about securing full-time jobs before graduation. And there was this kind of like undercurrent of intensity and just a sense of like who has a job, who doesn't. Um, but I actually didn't have one when I graduated. And I ended, ended up splitting my summer between two internships. So I did two months at Other Means in Brooklyn, which was fantastic. Um, those guys are great. And I think their work is really interesting. Um and honestly, I felt really out of my league with them because they were kind of, they had this sort of like, in my mind at the time, very like European approach to design that was like very interpretive, very conceptual. And it was something that I was still trying to learn how to do. So that was a good experience, but I really didn't make anything for them that they used or that I used, but it was good to kind of just be around a different kind of studio environment. Um, and then I immediately went to Meta Haven in Amsterdam and did two months there. Um, which that was, that, that was direct, a direct byproduct of the lesson I'd learned about Pentagram, which was, you know, don't eliminate those opportunities. So MetaAven was not something I ever would have applied to do had I, I not gone through Pentagram, I don't think, or had that experience um, of learning that, like, I was at a level to do that. So, yeah, I just reached out to Daniel Vandervelden, one of the principals there, sent him an email and said, you know, I'm, I'm available these two months. I'd love to come intern for you. Do, can we have an interview? And I attached some work and he happened to be in New York at the time. So we met up um, at a Cologne uh, in NoHo <laughs> and <laughs> had um, had a, an interview, which was just a conversation. Uh, and I felt, you know, sort of really like intellectually dwarfed um, by him and also felt that sort of 
their house aesthetic would be an enormous reach for me graphically, which it was. And I wanted that. I wanted to be challenged and do something that like I really wouldn't do um, and kind of like put on this sort of drag of doing their, their aesthetic. Um, and yeah, so somehow they also said yes. And they had me come for two months. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked on a ton of interesting stuff for them, some films, uh, an identity for an art museum in Sweden, a few other things. Um, but yeah, it was a tough one. I remember in the first few weeks of that internship, uh, they literally just said like, you need to work harder. <laughs> And that was like a real wake up call. Like, okay. They're like, you're American and we do things a little bit better here in Europe. I mean, and it wasn't a comment on me not showing up on time or anything. It was just a comment on the product of, or the the um, quality of the work and just, you know, it not kind of being at the level they needed. Like, you know, if you're going to be a benefit and an asset in this studio, like we need you to make work that we can use. Um, <laughs> so Damn. yeah, that was really intense and it was good. And I was an intern with Raf Rennie at the time, which is where I met him um and he's fantastic and just really had like a natural grasp of their aesthetic so he was a really good one to kind of be alongside and learning from um and while I was in Amsterdam that's when I um kind of started interviewing or kind of closing the interview process for the New York Times so I flew home um from Amsterdam in early October and started at the Times so like a week later yeah, so the Times, right? Like everyone in New York has either some way worked with, uh, worked on or worked for, it seems like, especially uh, in, in design, you know, just having, um, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It just seems like the Times has so many great products of creativity come out of it. Um, there have been a few guests on here that have actually gotten some of their first design projects or, or just kind of like gig projects through, you know, like Stephen Heller and things like that. So, you know, what was, what was sort of your takeaway from the times? What would, what were you focusing on and, and what did you really learn from there? Yeah, it was a huge learning experience. So I worked on the Sunday magazine, um, which is not tea, the style magazine, the tea, um, that's the, cool the first question tea I always get. <laughs> the Sunday magazine comes out every week in the Sunday paper. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. Um, but basically I learned everything I know about how to make magazines there. Um, because I, I had never worked on a magazine. I did not have any magazine work in my portfolio, um, and hadn't done any, in any of my internships. I had a lot of book work. Like I was very focused on making books in school and I had identity work and things like that, but really, uh, I learned how to, to make magazines from sort of the very fine granular production level of flowing text, and ragging columns to, you know, designing a conceptual opener for a story. And do you, do you feel like now this sort of, uh, that experience has sort of traveled or followed you around since then? Because, I mean, you've gone on to do some amazing editorial work or from what I would say is, is amazing editorial work from the times, you know, like, how do you feel about that? You know, like, I feel like once you're in media, once you're working with content and working with, um, articles and, and things that people are kind of like interacting with in that sense, it's kind of hard to get rid of it. Yeah, no, I think that, um, job defined my track, like it established my reputation as an editorial designer. And I really fell in love with editorial design. Like I feel great about that because it's like this great convergence of all of these worlds that I love. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think it kind of like set me up to do the design I do now as a freelancer, which is a lot of editorial. And again, I'm sure I'm going to be jumping. I'm, we're going to skip over some stuff, but you know, that 
ends up leading you to to working for Away, you know, working on Here Magazine. Now, are you still currently at Away? No, I left in late October. Okay, cool. And then Away um, had their independent magazine, um, Here Magazine, which was focusing on travel. I'm sure I'm missing I'm missing the full summary of what the magazine is. So I'll let you kind of give a little summary about the kind of work that you did there. Yeah. Um, basically, I had free reign, which was the huge appeal of that job. Um, I mean, sort of between uh, the times and here, I actually freelanced for a year doing primarily editorial illustration. I was very interested in the, in the time at, at discovering if that was something I could do sustainably or like would want to kind of transition toward. Um, and the here job came out of the blue. Um, someone re- reached out to me about it. And it was something that, you know, I kind of just did the interview on a whim. I think it's it's good to do interviews, even if you don't really have an intention of taking the job, not to lead people on, but just to kind of connect with people and having conversations around work and design is, is good. Um, so I went into it kind of feeling noncommittal and really in the interview with the um, the managing editor and the editor-in-chief kind of fell in love with their editorial vision. And they had a design product that just really didn't reflect it and didn't kind of honor the content in the way that it could. And I saw that right away. And it just felt like such an opportunity to step in and like give them something that would really make sense with their content. And there was no designer above me and there was no one below me. I was the, the only designer working on the project. Um, and also the the here team was then and always was quite um, autonomous from the away uh, team or even the away sort of brand team. So we had a lot of freedom and didn't have such a strict sort of like hierarchy of approval to get through. There was just a lot more flexibility and like agility to actually make things. So uh, yeah, one of my frustrations with the times and what ultimately led me to leave was just that there was no ability to to grow beyond a certain point. Like the roles were extremely defined, which works. It works because, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. They have to make a magazine every seven days. Um, and, you know, everyone there obviously is incredible and like is at the sort of top of their abilities. So, you know, it that's like not a complaint. <laughs> it's no comment on the quality of that magazine, but, you know, just wanting to take on more responsibility and not being able to, um, unless I waited years to be able to hire, to be promoted, which also doesn't happen because, you know, when people land at the New York Times magazine, they stay there. Um, so I just felt like, oh, I need to, I need to get out so that I can do more. And, and, you know, being such a young designer and in my first full-time job, I often say, like, I think I would have stayed there longer had I landed there later in my career. But what I wanted to do was more and like learn, you know, how to sort of manage things a little bit better, how to have more control and actually make it happen. So kind of like seeing what um, our creative director, Gail Bickler, did at the New York Times Magazine so well and kind of wanting to have that kind of responsibility and learn how to do that um, on the ground versus just by observing. So that is one, the editorial vision of here and two, that kind of ability to have control and like take risks uh, is what sold me on doing the here job. I feel like I've, I've hit that moment too, where you find this magic moment where you don't have necessarily anyone above you in your role and you don't have necessarily anyone below you. So all the responsibility is on you, but you get to choose what that responsibility is at, at times, which is great. And it feels really nice. And I, I feel yeah. like 
you really got that from as a, as a viewer, as a reader, you really got that from the work that you put into the magazine. I mean, the spreads I thought were gorgeous. I think, you know, you even had, you had some like amazing celebrities that also like graced the cover, you know, Maggie Rogers. That was one of my favorite ones. Um, Lamorne, Serena Williams, Moses Sumney, like the, just the overall art direction and design of the, of the content was, was really something that I appreciated as a designer, obviously. Um, and I'm very curious too, like, there's a few things I want to pull out of this one. You are the designer. You're also sort of the art director. You're also sort of the illustrator. And I think I've heard in sort of, um, in another, you know, discussion that you had that you kind of consider yourself a generalist. And I love that because I think people, for a, uh, for a couple of years or for a moment in creative, they were very keen and on getting good at one thing and one thing only. And I, I never could do that. Like I'm not good at one thing and I'm not that great at design either, but I can do a ton of different things. And I think that's what makes me, you know, a, a good partner at times. And I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I definitely identify as a generalist, mostly because I think it's more fun. Um, like if, you know, if you have these interests and you have the skills, why not use them? Like, why should that be, um, you know, why should that be a mark against you or why should that deter your path or your career? And I kind of, I mean, I wrote a piece about this for, um, I on design a couple of years ago. And I think it's interesting because I think generalism is only a problem when you are later into your career. And when you're early in your career, it's a real boon. And so I'm kind of struggling with kind of being midway or kind of kind of stepping into my like middle age as a graphic designer, which feels crazy because I've only been working for five years, but I do feel that way where I'm like, okay, you know, do I need to narrow what do I do? do? Like do, do clients need to have a more honed understanding of my capabilities or my expertise? So I'm kind of like still navigating that and walking that. I feel you on that. I totally yeah. feel you on that. Like I like, I think we're kind of like, we graduated on the same time and same exact problem. It's like, okay, how do I describe myself or how do I make my, you know, sell that part of me in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. But I think at a basic level, like forgetting all the politics and all the complexities of being a designer in the world, I think it's just more fun for me to do more. And, you know, why not? I mean, you're going to be in this career in theory for decades, so it's got to stay interesting somehow. Totally. Again, just going back to the design of it, like I'm, I'm curious, what was like the inspiration for some of the work that you did? Where does, where does your appreciation for typography and working for with you know type, where does that come from? Because I, I look at the work you know where you really do love or show these headlines and let them kind of speak. And coming from someone who's a big type nerd. I'm like, yes, yeah, sign me up. Like, give me a big headline that's only four letters, you know, like whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. The dream. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, here itself was really obviously founded in typography. And a lot of that was because we didn't have the budget to sit on good photography and rely on that. Um, and also it was because the design system itself was inspired by type. And, you know, what's interesting about travel a lot of the time is the signs you see and just you know, the graphic sensibility of each city. And a lot of that comes down to type. Um, but otherwise I would say in general, my interest in type was really organic and kind of caught me unawares because in school, I would say I wasn't interested in it. I took a type design course, but because it was so formal and technical, it kind of scared me off. 
made me think that's not what I'm going to do. Type design is not for me. Like I just don't have the attention span or the level of detail to execute a body copy typeface. It's like a whole, it's like a whole other beast. Like you go down this, like I, I took a type design course as well. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe I'll make type. And yeah. then, yeah, you're like, no, this is like, this is like the difference between like becoming a scientist and an athlete. In yeah. Some way. This is like somebody who is a secret mathematician, but is somehow an art school. <laughs> um, so huge respect to people who actually design type and are proper type designers. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you kind of learn, I, or what I learned over time is that, and this is, again, I feel like everything I'm saying is actually a basic lesson that has a ton of essays written about it by great designers throughout history. But what I learned is, you know, like type can be image and type as image is fun and what I can do. So like when I'm not too worried about um, sort of the rules of executing a piece of type and making a letter legible and more about its character and the things it's expressing and what it's saying about a story or, you know, what it's foreshadowing or implying, um, then it's it's fun. And yeah, when I think, you know, this this kind of attaches to my experience as an editorial illustrator and like you know, those sensibilities and being able to draw. And um, I mean, I think back to when I was a kid and I, besides horses, I spent a lot of time drawing type too. Um, like I, I specifically remember going through a phase where I would draw my name or like words in pasta noodle shapes just over and over. <laughs> and I feel like that's something I should do now and revisit and try to make cool. But just thinking about that and knowing like instinctively as a kid, like I wasn't, I didn't, I just, you know, being blissfully unaware of all the all the rules kind of you know you can you can make whatever you want into type naive and optimistic as a child is just like the state that i always want to be in <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and just yeah that childlike wonder we're all chasing it <laughs> yep yep exactly but yeah so type has organically become a focus for me and i i'm finding that the more i do it the more interested in executing it to perfection i i've become and like I'm kind of invested in those details so I yeah I also think that's kind of a pendulum swing that I couldn't have really predicted without just having worked on things and figured that out over time I'm just very happy that I had you as a guest because I knew we'd be able to just nerd out about this so I'm very <laughs> happy <laughs> right now um that's no and that's that's awesome I think your point you know, the point that you raised that, and I'm sure there are a ton of essays is that, yeah, type can be image, you know, and, and it's that beauty, that beautiful moment when you allow for that to happen or when you, when you are allowed to let that happen in some ways. Um, I, you know, so you're, you're here is no longer being published by way, right? Correct. Am I correct in that? Okay. Yeah. But while you were also working there, you were also doing like client projects and stuff like that. You've worked with Nike. You've worked with, um, you, you did kind of work for Bauer, the DJ. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it seems like, you know, you're, you're, you're finding this moment of, of working with great big clients like Nike, but also finding the time and the, and the, I think what people love to, um, I don't want to like, like working for a music client or having a music client or having a, a client in that space record label is also like something that a lot of people would love to do, but it's not that easy. So like, how are you maintaining at the time, you know, this balance of full time and finding clients or working with client projects? Yeah, I would say, honestly, it wasn't a balance. I was working all <laughs> the time. Yeah. And I mean, I'm enough of an obsessive and I, I just can't say no to things that I find interesting enough which would be, you know, like a Nike apparel capsule or a Bauer thing, you know, it's hard to say no when you get juicy projects like that. Um, 
So yeah, honestly, I can't in good faith recommend it as a lifestyle because really you are doing a job and a half and I didn't have much of a social life. <laughs> it's so sad. I've been there. The I've been there. I stand by it and it's like, I think, you know, doing that for a time, which I didn't do it all the time, but just doing that kind of, in, it, it was like pre-investing and being able to freelance full-time as I do now. So, you know, it was hard for a while, but, you know, I've kind of set myself up to have these client relationships um, and do do this work now. So that's kind of how I justify it. But yeah, I can't, I can't say that it was like a balanced lifestyle and I had it all. I definitely was working a lot. <laughs> no, totally. And I mean, you know, like the same in the same vein that we're talking to each other on a weekend and I'm doing this podcast, I say balance in that question to, to put it nicely. But, you know, at some times I think we both can can understand that it's not easy, you know, like you have to put that work in some way, shape or form. And there's going to be a part of you or part of your life that will take a slight chip, you know, in, in the armor. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Do you, so, but that stuff was all fun. Like I made sure to take projects that would truly be fun so that I wasn't using my free time just to suffer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and, and obviously in working with clients like, um, you know, Nike and Bauer and stuff like that, what do you think has, has led you to actually open those relationships? So like, you know, is this a, a process or a product of, you know, networking? Is this a product of just like really making sure that your work is out there and you're doing good stuff? Like how is, how is, you know, something as coveted as working with Nike kind of been able to open up? Yeah, I definitely think networking is a big part of it which I think as a new, new grad, I wanted to be in denial about, but I think, you know, just committing to working and being in, an indus- in the industry for years pays off because people start to recognize the work you do. Um, and both of those projects, for example, came out of, you know, different sort of past relationships or, you know, having posted work. I mean, posting work is an important thing too. Now more than ever, I get inquiries uh from instagram yeah so now more than ever like instagram is useful and just having your work out there um is is useful which i think people consistently say and i kind of also wish weren't true but it is and yeah just people knowing that you're kind of like consistently having output is good um but yeah so the nike relationship i do like a decent amount of work for them not all of which ever sees the light of day but um it was founded in me being brought on as an illustrator during that year when I was illustrating um, to, you know, add some illustrations, some key art to an apparel capsule that Double Dan Cartwright, the um, sports studio out of Williamsburg was doing. So, you know, I didn't know that it would turn into a relationship where I was working with Nike on my own or with a design partner outside of the context of the studio, but that's what happened. Um, Yeah. And the Bauer project came through because the studio or the label Lucky Me, which is a great um, indie UK label. Uh, They had seen a book cover that I did for Verso, which is a really small publisher, but I've done book covers for them for years now. Um, And I just, you know, there's a slow trickle of those that I get to do. And I love those because, you know, they have such a value for design at Verso. So you get to do really interesting, compelling things, but they saw one of those and felt like the aesthetic of that cover would adapt into an album. Um, and took a risk on me because that that was the first um, sort of music packaging project I had worked on. Um, so yeah, that's two but, examples of the circuitous kind of just being out there, knowing people, paying off. No, exactly. And I think that's great. I think the one point that you bring up that I thought was it, it kind of does help is just seeing it like a, cons- a consistent output 
I think that really helps. And I think that kind of gives a signal to other people or people who are looking to work with you that like you're actively either working on, you know, working on what you can say your craft or you're working on other work for other people and they could see how it might be applicable to whatever their situation is. Mm -hmm. Um, So now you are officially freelancing full time. I am. And now you are stepping into that, like, you know, somewhat of a business owner realm. How does that feel? You know, like what is, what what comes along with that? Yeah. Um, it's been a little overwhelming so far, but I feel fairly prepared because of the sort of, um, by night freelancing I've been doing for so long. And the fact that I did editorial illustration as a freelancer before, um, design is a very different beast because the timelines are so insane compared to illustration, especially editorial illustration is quick turnarounds, Um, and really hard deadlines. You know, when something's going to be done, if something comes in, you you just have an idea of how to slot things together. Whereas design is a bit hairier and it takes longer to get paid. And that's kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, I'm very much still figuring it out. Like my first couple of months was breakneck. Um, and it was insane and too much. Um, and then I had basically one week where I almost had nothing and I kind of had a, a moment of panic where I was like, it's over. <laughs> I made it for two months and now I'm done. And yeah. of course, no, that wasn't the case. Like new jobs started coming in. So I think just learning to kind of keep a level head will be important for me and something that becomes natural over time where I kind of lean into the the sort of quiet um, moments and maybe use those those periods to do personal work or whatever. But yeah. And I mean, I'm learning how to do outreach and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I think honestly, what makes it interesting is that it's new and I think I really thrive on, on kind of figuring things out, um, as I go, which isn't for everyone. I, I know, but, uh, it I really be stressful in my work when, when I'm trying to figure stuff out and do new things and it can mean that I'm more stressed, but it also just means that I'm not completely bored out of my mind ever. And I'm glad you mentioned outreach because I was going to say, you know, in, in a moment of like where you didn't have any work for a week, you know, like, is it part of my understanding the way I imagine it is that like when you do go freelance, it's not just like waiting around for work to fall into your lap. Although at times that's why a good network is helpful. And there are going to be moments where you're actively or proactively like reaching out to clients and stuff like that. So I guess like this is something that you're learning now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, what I do is just keep spreadsheets of every single person who's ever reached out, whether or not we work together. So I have like this database of sort of clients and maybe potential clients, and I can just sort of ping them and be like, Hey, I'm available. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The nitty gritty of like, you know, stepping out into this freelance realm. I think, uh, I hope one day or maybe one day I will get there as well, but it's, it's glad to hear it from someone who is stepping out on their own, you know, as we, as we're having this, as we're speaking on this episode as well. So thank you so much for that, Chloe. Um, Do you you have any about freelance? Yeah, go for it. Absolutely. I think this is really important and I feel like I'm also learning it actively is just also having like a good community of people that you can talk to um, not as, formal collaborators necessarily, but people that can look at the work you're doing and give you feedback. And then also having those, those collaborators that are also freelancers. So I have one person, Natalie Shields, who actually worked with me on here mag for the last four issues who, um, 
still has a full-time job, but she also does freelance occasionally. And we often work together. And that is a great partnership because, you know, there's, it's, it's not something where we're working together on every project, but if there's something where one of us really wants to work on it, but it feels like too out of scope to have just one designer, we can pull the other one on. And it kind of like sort of opens up our ability to do things that are larger or, you know, extend that client pool. And yeah, so just developing relationships with people that, you know, are also freelancing and that, you know, you've worked well together with, like whether it's, you know, a, a great developer that you love or somebody who's great at art direction or just another designer that you just respect their sensibility. I feel like that is something I'm going to try to lean into more too as I go. It's just finding those, those kindred spirits. <laughs> Agreed. I, I, I'd be, I'd be um, a terrible podcast host if I didn't plug something. And, and as you mentioned community and stuff like that, I'm at the moment I'm working on putting together this like creative Slack group um, from the podcast and stuff like that. Exactly for those reasons, because you know, it, it is really helpful to have people that aren't so close, you know, that aren't over your shoulder, that aren't so close to you, you know, share work with and, and help kind of either tweak it or make it better, whatever it may be. So um, you can go and visit the site, the website, wellfedpodcast.com to join. Um, But anyway, so Chloe, thank you so much for, um, for joining me as a guest today. I'm so glad we finally got to have this conversation. Before I let you go, uh, I'm curious. This is a question I've sort of been ending on with guests. You know, if you had to send yourself a message to future Chloe, um, what would that message be? You know, like if you were, you know, like a time capsule or something like that. I kind of that's how I picture this. You know, if you had to give yourself some advice, or you had to give yourself some words of encouragement, encouragement that you would look back on in five years, what would that be? Honestly, with where I'm at now, I would just say, relax. (laughs) (laughs) Like what I've learned is that it all works out. (laughs) You know, clients come through, collaborations come through, you meet the people you're meant to meet. Um, You know, being stressed about work does not help. And I'm still learning that now. And I hope that I've learned that in the future. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I love that. Chloe, thank you so much again for joining me as a guest today. Where can people uh, find more of you, contact you, connect with you? Um, where where are they able to get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at Chloe Sheffy. I don't tweet that much, but I'm pretty regularly on Instagram. So if you want to chat, find me there. But Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Awesome. I'm not too many places on the internet. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Chloe. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's been fun. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey. Editing, mixing, and music are all done by my friend, Kevin Bendis in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Definitely check him out. You can find out more about WellFed and where to listen at wellfedpodcast.com or on social media at WellFedPodcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon.